2: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy.
1: That's what the poster said.
2: See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. turn to make out? Nope. Because
1: I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now.
0: What are you into? Talking. Yeah. Okay. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Bye they are they coming
0: home. Oh. They coming home.
2: Celtic Stuff Live.
0: Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston Sports. And what a week it's been in Boston Sports, John. I'm so elated and pumped, and I'm just a, an emotional wreck for the last couple of days. I'll tell you, watching Paul Pierce hit that shot. In the final, what, they subbed him in with, like, 19.8 seconds left. Isaiah backs off, lets him hit it from straight away downtown. Beautiful. And then I know we're not a Patriots show, but all I'm going to say is you got to go onto my Twitter feed and look at my exchange with a neighbor. Greatest comeback of all Super Bowl history uh, was just amazing, John. So I know there's not all Patriots fans, I mean, listening and I'll I'll pay respect to that and back off. But man, if you're a 100% New England sports supporter, it's just the the afterglow right now.
1: It's amazing. It's absolutely, positively, ridiculously amazing. You know, usually we record Sunday nights uh, sometimes, and you guys get it the next morning when you turn on. So apologize for a bit of a delay. But look, I think everyone understands with what a day we had here. Sunday, first, you know, kicking it off, spending my whole morning, basically, <laughs> going down a wormhole of watching old, you know, 2008 Celtics clips and 2002, uh, you know, Pierce leading the comeback against the Nets and just all of the the history, goosebumps up and down my arms. It was like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? And then to watch that game, And Celtics played well Pierce, great entry All Great interviews beforehand Scow had a great one on CSN It was disappointing to not see Tommy and Mike Being able to call this game I think ABC did a poor job of, Of really capturing the moment For those of us who really wanted to To see this through Paul Pierce's eyes But boy, great job by CLNS Radio Uh To get all that video, and really that was really the only way a lot of us, the Celtics fans, were able to watch this. If you haven't seen the video, kudos. Go, go down to the CLNS radio page on youtube.com and, and check it out. It's great stuff. Uh, but, you
0: go- not only that, that, too though, when you talk about the coverage, uh, Larry H. Russell and the entire production team did a great job. I know Jared Weiss did the voiceover for it, but leading up to Paul Pierce's return, you really have to go to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash radio, because there was an enormous amount of content uh, to cover that whole return. And, like you said, getting that video montage that they broke in after, what, the first time out, yeah. after Pierce had run for almost five minutes, was really awesome. The captain in tears, the former Celtics captain in tears, definitely trying to hide it you know what else though John we've got to give Doc Rivers some props I know a lot of criticism for Doc out there but man he is a big part of Paul Pierce's return and Paul Pierce's legacy because he was a coach for that whole entire time that they were making the run with the second version of the big three and I I always had a soft spot for Doc and I know you've got a little bit more of an edge for him (laughs) but you have to give him mad props. Not just because he put, you know, we all knew he was going to put Pierce back in the game. I just mean how sentimental he was and the way that he had the Clippers players take notice. It's just really something how he added to uh, to Paul Pierce's final game in Boston.
1: He did. He did. Credit Credit where it's due. And certainly we remember Doc's return to Boston and tears in his eyes and seeing the montage and Great job by the Celtics staff, uh, Sean Sullivan and, and all those guys who do in-game stuff. Amazing, amazing work. Capturing the moment, but give it up for the Celtics fans. Showing up, giving proper respect to a player who's given so much to those of us who've watched him since his first day 19 years ago, uh, or excuse me, 18 years ago, and starting out as a Celtic. And here, here we are. This all these years later, a championship in tow. I mean, it was, it was just an amazing day. And then we go through the game. A really unremarkable start, but that finish, that three pointer, hadn't scored it ever. hadn't hadn't been shut out ever at the Boston Garden, and ends it on a three from pretty far out, pretty far out on that shot. I mean, it just chills. There were tears. There were tears in my house. I look over. My wife was not really into the. I mean, she she's a basketball fan. She played sport and everything. She's sitting there next to me, sobbing. I'm like, oh my goodness! But it was it was emotional, you know, to see them go out like that and all he had done for this team, this franchise, this fan base. It was remarkable. I mean, I just, I still, I'm getting, I'm literally getting chills as I'm just recounting this here. What a what a opportunity there and. and that was great, and then of course Sunday night, <laughs> talking about highs and lows, and then the ultimate high on that end. I mean, as again, as a Patriots fan here, I've got to admit uh, that was that was an, an, un, an a remarkable day in so many respects. It's one I'm never going to forget.
0: No, and interestingly, you may remember good friend Eric Weiss from. Uh, From Draft Express. It was his birthday. And an interesting week for statistical anomalies, too, because Pierce started his career in a lockout shortened season. The same day that he plays his last game in Boston was actually his very first start with the Boston Celtics. So, February 5th, just such an interesting, interesting date tied to Boston sports. He shows up in town, he's wearing his Patriots gear. And on Friday night, the Celtics face the other legendary franchise in the NBA, the Los Angeles Lakers, tied for the most franchise wins in history, and of course, the Celtics get the tiebreaker on that by winning uh, convincingly on Friday. They go 4-0 and this week. You called it. I said I thought they were going to lose one of the games. Probably should have lost the Clippers game. <laughs> I'm going to hat tip to Doc on that one, too, because <laughs> I... I really feel like he almost mismanaged it in a way. Uh, they really should have pounded Boston on the boards, but he, he allowed the emotions to run through the team, and I think it helped benefit the Celtics a little bit. But they do go 4-0, and it really was just a, an absolutely crazy week, statistically, statistically speaking, uh, but it, but a really fun week. I mean, the Raptors was a game that I thought for sure – was going to give the Celtics a ton of trouble, and it was kind of ugly. And uh, really, you get over the hump against the Raps, finally. Now, of course, DeMar DeRozan didn't play. Jalen Browns had a nice week. I wanted to see Jalen on DeMar DeRozan. We didn't get that. But they did beat the Raps, so that was nice. Then you have the tiebreaker against the Lakers, and then you have the homecoming. Just, I don't think we're going to top uh, what we just saw over the last week, we won't top it again until the postseason this year.
1: I think, yeah, the, the, the Raptors game was, was important. I think that was, I'm not saying it was the biggest win of the year, but I think it might be, for where the Celtics are right now, maybe the most important. One, obviously, it put Brad Stevens in the position to coach the All-Star game, which, you know, it doesn't really help you to win a playoff game this year, but it's maybe sets the tone for some future things that we'll talk about a little bit later in the show but also it solidifies the Celtics that hey you know what you can beat the Raptors Celtics yeah. were were without <laughs> Avery Bradley that night you know I mean it, this is not I mean yes DeMar DeRozan the the all-star starter the guy who's killed the Celtics over and over and over again did not play so you know in some respect you do have to You know, put that asterisk out there, but it kind of goes both ways. Avery Bradley not being there does not, you know, help the Celtics. It shortens their rotation. But as we saw once again, and I think we've seen throughout this seven game winning streak now that the Celtics are on, we're now seeing that Jalen Brown, your guy, I'm not going to say it's my guy. I'm not going to, I'm going to give that to you. He is
0: my man. He's
1: your, he's your guy. Uh, mad respect to that guy because he is he's showing himself to be not just a legitimate rotation player but a guy who's continuing to show the 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 upper reaches of his potential you always see one or two plays every game where it's like he puts a couple more of these things together and you can see a momentum to his his upward mobility as a player and his production That makes you really think that by the end of the year he's going to be at one level, and then boy, next year. I mean, it's there's he's setting the stage for really a breakout season here. Uh, You know, kind of going through the first summer into year two. I really am loving his progression and where he's helping this team as they're you know on the in the middle of this amazing winning streak.
0: Yeah, I love Jalen Brown, and real quick, just a reminder. I'm going to get into Jalen a little bit more in depth here in a second. But a reminder to follow us on Twitter. I'm at CSL underscore Justin. You can follow John at CSL underscore Duke. All right, so now we're going to talk about Jalen Brown because I want to get into it a little bit. I did not expect him to really come into his own until after the All-Star break. I certainly never expected him to get a stretch of games where he was starting, not on this team not without a major injury like if somebody, Jay Crowder would have been the one that would have come to mind for me if we did see Jalen get some run uh, as a starter, and that's not the case. He's, he's earned this opportunity. Yes, there are still some brain farts. There's some lapses, but that baseline spin move was absolutely incredible, uh, I guess the Clippers. It was filthy. The other thing that I shouted out earlier in this experiment with him in the starting lineup was he still kind of continues to go up into the shot as he's getting contact. So I said maybe about a week and a half ago, once Jalen is smart enough to take the contact and then follow through with the shot, those, those are going to turn into more and ones instead of just two free throws. And we remarked that his free throw shooting had improved, and it certainly has. He's been shooting, I saw a stat, I think, I can't remember who put it out, but he was up to 91% over like the last month or month and a half, something like that, in free throw shooting. So there had been a marked moment in time where that had jumped up. But all of a sudden, towards the end of this past week, he has started to take that contact before finishing his shot, which is just going to do wonders. It's going to—you want to talk about that baseline spin being filthy? He is going to go. He is going to the free throw line almost at the same rate as Isaiah Thomas, and they need somebody else on this team who can produce points in that fashion.
1: That's the biggest thing going to me right now is the fact that that his his the the steps that he's taking right now to go from from where he is, to, you know, where he started the season to now, to where he's got a niche, you know, he has, a, there's a role that he can play, that he can fit in, uh, That that is just, it's something that the, he can not only build on in the future, but if he had gotten to this point by the, let's say the playoffs, I mean, I would consider that, that's that, that's beyond my wildest dreams, Really has you know seen what we saw in college from him, which was admittedly not a whole heck of a lot, to a guy who can consistently get to the line and, and attack you know NBA defenses to a not a devastating degree, but to a, a consistent level, no matter who it is, no matter where it is, he's finding a way to get to the bucket. The fact that he's at that point now. Without really having the opportunity to to work on his craft and figure those things out, because I agree with you, it's surprising to me we're even at the situation we're in the situation we are with him. The fact that he's here now, where could he get to by the time we're at the playoffs? I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be a a, a ten point a night guy, you know, here from here to the playoffs, but. This is a guy who could make some noise in a playoff series. Who could be a guy who who really challenges. And what's also interesting, and you brought it up last week, Justin, the issue of being the shooting guard. And the that you know I did, was not a big fan of him playing a power forward. I thought that was miscast. I thought of him really as a as a bigger wing. And him being that bigger shooting guard, I'm not saying it necessitates the need to move Avery Bradley. I don't think we're at that point yet. Not, and, and I think we need Avery Bradley. We need as many wings as we can. It's certainly interesting to see this team play with a bigger shooting guard on the floor next to Isaiah. And I don't think that...
0: They need the length.
1: I think They can't be like, that
0: small. And we already know Marcus really... Look at when they stop putting him at small forward, how, more, how much more productive he is running the offense in the point guard slot coming off the bench. That There's a reason, and it's a pretty simple one, and Brad already explained, he wants to keep that continuity off the bench with Smart and Olenek coming in. But that is really important that he is at the point guard and not taking the slot of Avery Bradley at the two while Avery's out. But it does mask. And it's not just the length. It's also the athleticism that Jalen brings matched up with the length because he's got not only the ability to close the gap because he's a longer player, but he also can get there quicker. So I think he masks some of, of Isaiah Thomas's defensive liabilities way better than Marcus Smart or Avery Bradley can possibly do. I do think Avery may find himself as a potential trade piece. The only problem is, is now he's missed what, 14 out of the last 15 games? Yeah. You know, I know people haven't forgotten how good Avery Bradley is. But it is never a good time to trade a player when they're injured and people start to wonder about durability. And that whole recency bias and not having seen him play could hurt his values. So there's a good chance he doesn't get moved. But he's a movable piece, and I don't think we would have said that quite so easily a year ago.
1: I, and I, and I, would, I, I truly believe that. I think he's always been the player who you most likely want to trade. Uh, he's not been. I'm not saying I'm down on him. That 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 would be overstating it. But I think that if there's a redundant piece or a piece that perhaps doesn't as well as well as the rest of the pieces do. It's Bradley. Bradley's the guy who doesn't seem to have. Uh, he does a lot of good things. He can shoot. He can play. He can defend like a like a pit bull. I would like to have some a bit more size there. If I'm going to have a guy a wing who uh, who's going who can get shot over the top of, let that be Marcus Smart who can who can maybe bully ball and can and can push back a little bit. You know, if if you had a bigger point guard, for example, let's say your point guard was six five, I'd love to have Avery Bradley sitting next to him. He guards the the point guards on the other end. Maybe you know he uses his shooting and defense. I mean, I think that that's. That's a great compliment for him. Unfortunately, on this team, I feel like, you know, he he was he's asked to do a lot at the beginning, and hopefully that raises his his value across the league. But I don't think other teams value Avery Bradley as highly as the Celtics do. I think that the Celtics for what they've had to do they value him quite highly and I don't think other teams they see the limitations in terms of height regardless of whether he was first team all defense last year and don't see that as 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 big of a value as, as perhaps we do and, and I think his contract situation being eligible for an extension this upcoming summer Makes him really somebody who you want to have a target on, and somebody who you may not want to uh, extend. And so now's the time you may have to move on from him. It also allows you to make a trade and taking back some salary this year, this spring, and, and address an area of need. Maybe it's a guy like uh, you know. I'm just trying to think of Biggs, You know, New Orleans Noel. You know, he's a guy who uh, who you could get back here and and fits your your big rebounder that, that's your, that can defend, but... Uh, shot blocker. And a shot, shot blocker. blocker. Exactly. Because that's
0: the other piece. You have somebody like Jalen at the two with the athletic length, and then you have an athletic center shot blocker rebounder like Noel. Those two pieces will definitely help mask any Isaiah Thomas concerns. I think the only problem there is... And I'd say it was a big problem, except that, you know, we already have it in Amir Johnson as an offensive liability. Ultimately, you'd rather have a player who could also add some scoring and keep things spread out uh, the same way, like, when Olenek comes into the game. But Brad could always use, he can always, you know, do the matchups the way that he needs to, to create spacing or whatever he's trying to accomplish. But it would be nice to have more in one package if you're going to trade Avery Bradley that, you're, you're consolidating talent and upgrading at a position. And I, I do think Noel would be an upgrade. I'm just a little concerned that he still doesn't bring quite enough offensively to, to really get where I think Isaiah Thomas could, could even have less responsibility and things open up even more. But, you know, that's, that may be asking too much. I don't think it's fair to Avery Bradley that we even have this conversation. A lot of the question, like you mentioned, or a lot of, maybe a lot of the argument, not the question, but the argument is just around fit. And I think other teams that would be looking to acquire him would look at it the same way. Some teams are going to see the six foot two and say what you said, that that, maybe that's not a good fit for us. But another team might look at him and say, hey, this guy is a defensive stopper and, you know, he would look really good next to like a Russell Westbrook. I mean, he would be a very nice compliment to Russ. So it just depends on the team and, and what they have already, I think, before you can, you know, before you say they don't value him as much, the problem is everybody knows the Celtics have more guards than they can handle. I'm just not sure. I'm not sure they're going to see a return on the investment. The other unfair sort of uh, stat statistic that makes it seemingly easier to trade Avery and, again, is not fair to him, but the defensive turnaround has come about in his absence, John.
1: That's right. That's absolutely true. I mean, I, I and I think it's related to height, and it's in, and it's related, and in part that's related to the improved rebounding with Jalen Brown on the floor. Jalen is Jalen, and, and let's give credit to Jay Crowder too. I think Jay Crowder has brought his game after some criticism here. Not because of some criticism here. Let, let me clarify that. I'm not saying he's better because I I you know I got be in my bonnet. All I'm saying is. After, I think, some tough games, particularly in that three-game slide that preceded this seven-game winning streak, Jay has brought his game up a level, That particularly that Washington game. Shot well, didn't rebound well, didn't defend well, and since that point, he's brought it. And I think that that improved rebounding from that slot, the sh- small forward position, coupled with plugging in a guy like Jalen Brown... There's just been a lot more energy, a lot more effort, I think you know, and the game Sunday against the Clippers, I think was good evidence of that. I thought they really showed that's a, typically a game that we always complain about, ah oh, you know they're a little slow, you know the, the afternoon starts don't seem to kind of get them going yeah like the
0: Sunday doldrums, that's no right. doubt.
1: And they showed they showed good energy throughout and and throughout that stretch, I think they've showed good energy they've defended well, they've gone after the loose balls I mean I think that that's that's the difference that's the mark of this team the team we've seen over the last seven games, not just because they've won. But the way they've played, they've, they've really competed. There have been stretches where they've been a little bit lackadaisical throughout that. That's gonna happen. But to me, the mark of this team throughout that seven game winning streak is that this is a team that scraps, that hustles, that dies for loose balls, that goes, you know, goes and wins the 50-50 chances. That's the team we've been waiting for all season. And it's no mistake that this is why they've been successful. It's no mistake why they've defended well. Can they do it with Avery Bradley on the court? I think they can. I think they can. But if they can't, then we have to look at roster construction. We have to look at the heights and sizes. We have to look at what Avery Bradley, having Bra- Adley- Avery Bradley, let's start that again, what having Avery Bradley on the court means for the other positions and, and, and the pressure that puts on, particularly from a rebounding angle. It's interesting because early on a lot of people are looking, well, Avery Bradley's is only reason, only guy rebounding on this team. Well that's true, but why isn't everybody else rebounding? That's, that's the question that should be asked. Not that Avery Bradley's doing so good, it's why isn't everybody else doing their job? And some of their job was for, for the bigs, was to keep their, their, their guy behind so that the guards could come back and, and rebound the basketball. But where was Crowder? Yeah,
0: some of it was just a matter of strategy, no doubt.
1: And so now, I think we can take a step back and say, well, maybe that's a situation that we can, you know, now we don't need that because we've got Jalen, we've got Crowder. They're both crashing the glass, getting the board, whether it's the offensive or defensive end. And, and we saw that a lot on in Sunday's game, but really, th- again, throughout that seven-game stretch.
0: Yeah, I just think there's obviously an opportunity for the young players to play because Brad notices the energy, like you just said, and they're hungry. And I tweeted this out, too, but... Said the fact that look, if Avery Bradley can put Ray Allen on the bench, there's no reason Jalen Brown can't put Avery Bradley on the bench, and I think there were some calls, and it wasn't about it. It wasn't about Jalen Brown putting Avery Bradley on the bench. I think it was more the Marcus Smart Smart contingency of which you and I do belong. Yes, but said why? Why wouldn't Bradley come off the bench and Smart would start next to? isaiah thomas and there were some questions around that and people insinuating that well politically you just can't do that to avery bradley i don't think that's true at all i think brad stevens will do what's right but at the same time i don't think that Jalen brown stays in the starting lineup when avery bradley comes back especially when avery's healthy his last shot at returning didn't work out But the Achilles wasn't 100% when he did come back in that game. And it is going to take two or three games to shake off the rust. Brad taking the long-term view will 100% put Bradley back into the starting lineup to just basically churn that curve as fast as possible.
2: It's the new year, which means a fresh start for your business, and a great year starts with making great hires. But posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites, and now you can. With ZipRecruiter, you can jumpstart your hiring in 2017 by posting your job to 200 plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, and that's all with a single click. Find candidates in any City or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No more juggling your emails or calls coming into your office. Very quickly, you can screen the candidates, rate them, and then when you're ready, hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over one million businesses. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to Zip. Recru- recruitercom slash sportsfan. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash sportsfan. To try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash sportsfan. Blue Apron, their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals, and they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. And for less than $10 a meal, which is less expensive than going out unless you're eating McDonald's, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. And cooking together builds strong family bonds. What I love about this... Is You don't necessarily have to plan the meal and what ingredients need you go to the store and buy. They all come directly to your door, pre-portioned. So a lot of the hassle is taken out of it and yet you can eat a very delicious meal and it's way better than eating out. Customize your recipes each week based on your preferences. There's no weekly commitment. Upcoming meals is cashew chicken stir fry with tango mandarins and jasmine rice. Roasted pork with apple, walnut, and farro salad. Crispy barramundi with quinoa and roasted carrot salad. And udon noodle soup with miso and soft-boiled eggs. I had the barramundi when I cooked uh, with Blue Apron, and it was absolutely delicious. I'd never had that fish before. I'm a big fan of quinoa as well. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping. It doesn't get better than that. Three free meals and free shipping. Go to blueapron.com com/slash-celtics. You're gonna love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com/slash-celtics. Blue Apron: A better way to cook. We'll be right back after this word from Audible.com. All right, we're
0: back, and I think John and I need to spend a little bit more time talking about Paul Pierce. I know we kicked it off a little bit, but then we went around the horn of the last week that has seen the Celtics go 4-0. But really, it was a travesty that ABC really did not understand just how crazy Celtics fans are. But I think that the other thing, has there ever been a louder, more ruckus crowd for any situation in Boston? The noise for Paul Pierce and the outpouring of love and emotion, Way more than even any playoff game, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah I you know I wasn't there. I, could, I mean, you weren't there. I mean, we're just going by what we saw.
0: Too, you're pulling out the hyperbole card on me. Uh, I heard that.
1: Well, no, I'm just saying. I mean, we're. I mean, look, I was at the. I was there. I mean, you were there during some pretty loud games. I was there the game that, that you know, basically that, that said bye bye to LeBron James and Cleveland the first time around. I mean, that was as loud as I've ever heard anything. And there was anger. I think there's something to be said about a, a, a fandom that's angry. You know? Um, in terms of pure love, boy, it'd be hard to top, I would think. Right? I mean, that was just... It was melancholy, and yet it was... It was it was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing, beautiful thing to celebrate the career of a guy who... You know, he was so ill-fitting when he came here, both as as a as a guy who was going to take Ron Mercer's minutes, you know, to kind of bring it back. A guy from L.A., um, a guy that slipped in the draft, and no one's really sure why. Um, you know, there was a lot going on there. It was the, the, all the tumult of the Rick Pitino era in a, in and of itself, and he kind of turned that into a stew that, and we also, with the other interesting piece of this, and the early days of the show, we we talked a little bit about this, because we were just coming off the Antoine Walker years, and that was a time that I think we saw kind of a sea change in, in the fandom of the team. You know, there was still a lot of people when Walker came around that were kind of holdovers from the Bird era, and, you know, this is the way the game is played, and Paul and was part of that generation that kind of transitioned from those who said, "Well, the eighties basketball is the only way to do it," and and transitioned from you know into the iso ball era of the early two thousands, and everyone thinking that's you know it's my ball and everyone clear out. Now Paul could do that. Paul was successful with that but he also transitioned as the team got better and had guys he could pass to into this defensive team that could that could really lock anybody down the 2008 Celtics being in terms of single season among the greatest teams that's ever laced them up and he really he was really a guy of of a bit of a chameleon he changed to what the what was required of the opportunity of, of the situation and i think the celtic's fans we appreciated that he grew with us as we grew and our appreciation and love of the game changed and that was just an amazing thing to watch from afar as, as fans and so i think that, that was what that was about is it was it was more than just he was a guy who had a great career he was a guy who was one of us we were one of him you know and we all kind of came through this together paul's about the, is a little bit older than me he's a little bit younger than you but we all kind of came up through this and he finished college when we were finishing college and
0: well him and Tom that. Brady him and Tom Brady were about the same age i'm a couple i'm like maybe a year and a half older than each of them yeah but as as we were becoming y- young men you know coming out of boyhood there were these two players that were the same age that you were identifying with that as you began to develop your career and become a pro yourself, we sort of aligned with the players doing it at the exact same time. And so I think every generation kind of goes through that. They grow up with a player that is a similar age. And we were lucky to have very competitive teams, at least at some point during that stretch. And I remember just covering the Celtics and getting the press credentials and going back in there and, and doing all of that, that was for me, uh, a big part of my own professional development, even though I wasn't doing, you know, the coverage of the team professionally, it still had a great impact on what I am now doing with my career. And it's very similar. It's like you just become, it's like the age when you begin to realize what you're truly capable of and to watch the players do the same thing, you know, and and what, what, Kevin Garnett said, is so apropos for this conversation, but anything's possible. And after that moment, we really believed it. And I would say Paul Pierce will always be my favorite Celtic, just because. Now, I grew up watching Larry Bird. You know, I, I grew up in that era. I, I loved Danny Ainge as a player, scrappy. But Paul Pierce will always be my favorite player. And it has everything to do with, you know, him being a peer. At least in terms of age group.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's, that's very true. For those of us in our, in our thirties or forties, you know, that, that, that resonates. That, that experience that he had resonates with us. And, you know, as we were making dumb mistakes in our, in our twenties, he was making dumb mistakes in his twenties. You know, he wasn't, you know, he, he, he became a bit full of himself at times, and, you know, who wasn't probably when they were 23, 24, 25 years old? You know, he was handed the mantle of this, of this Celtics franchise at a really young age. And you can see across the league and over, over time, particularly over the last, I'd say 15 years, as, you know, these high school players and whatnot have come in. Look at Anthony Davis right now. I mean, basically that franchise is in his hands. He's 23 years old. He's got a world of talent, might be able to put it together. But he doesn't have the mantle of the then 16-time world champions, the legends coming in and out. I mean, he doesn't have any of that. He doesn't have to wear that. He just has to get his team going, which is which is still a burden, not to say it's easy. But to wear that as a 23-, 24-, 25-year-old guy... That's not easy, man, you know? And, you know, Walker came in. And, and, and
0: I'm not sure that he had good leadership either. That's what you I mean. You know, you talk about that. But yeah, but you look at Avery Bradley and look at all the leadership he had to be able to. Now, he's also, I would say, just a real upstanding young man. And I know he didn't. He transferred to Texas and he didn't come with the best reputation. But I think all <laughs> revision history now, you look at who Avery Bradley is as a person. It's hard not to respect him.
2: Absolutely. And
0: at the same time, he was in a very good environment. And you're 100% correct. The environment that Pierce was in really did not come around until Danny Ainge took over the, to running the organization.
1: That's right. And I, and I'd say to, to go further with that, I mean, Paul, Paul went and played for a good, good college coach in Roy Williams. I mean, he, he played for the pedigree of Kansas. He came here and it was, it was upheaval. I mean, the Patino era was, was rough and transitioned to the Jim O'Brien, Chris Wallace days. It didn't last long, of course, because once Wick and, and Pags bought the team, Danny comes in. There's a lot of upheaval that immediately after that, Doc is in not long after that. You know, the first three, four, five years, there was a lot of ups and downs, but credit to Danny Ainge to seeing what he had in Paul Pierce and 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 doc and sticking with him and and as we talked about in those early days on the show <laughs> JB and you and I there was a, there, those were not easy times there was a lot of you know unhappiness generally on the show with with the effort and and his
0: well Danny changing. alone people were not convinced that Danny was the right hire for the job even yeah and the organization did made a real nice shift at that time they committed to Danny Ainge and then Danny Ainge did what he needed to do and then began to commit to Doc Rivers and committed to Paul Pierce once once he had his fingerprints and he knew Antoine Walker had to go once he had his fingerprints on the organization culturally that's had carry over to this day they would have kept Doc around for the rebuild It was Doc that didn't want to be there. Exactly, And the conversation was open with Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. I like that Paul never misses an opportunity to say that he wasn't shuttled out of town. That Danny talked to him about what they were doing, why they were considering the trade to the Nets, and the fact that Danny didn't feel like, based on the salary and the, the lack of picks and where the team was at, that they would be able to keep them competitive enough in the twilight of their careers. And so he kind of set them free. He gave Paul the opportunity to choose his destination versus Paul feeling obligated to stay in Boston and muddle through a half-and-half rebuild. I mean, nobody would have known that they could have rebuilt this quickly, but they wouldn't have if they hadn't made those moves. They never would have had the opportunity. And now you see that same commitment to Brad Stevens where it's clear he struggled for the first couple of years but there was never a question in the front office or the organization or ownership of the Celtics about whether or not they were going to stick with Brad for the long term when they hired him. They're not looking for quick fixes. They're looking for a strategy. They're looking for committing to the key pieces um, of moving forward, et cetera. And I think, you know, always players are available and you have to do certain things. But I think they always do it the right way. And I like that Paul makes note of that. And they talk about Paul potentially coming back or taking on some sort of a, a front office position in the NBA somewhere. I almost feel like it's more likely that he joins Doc Rivers' staff and that Doc is setting the table for that by having Kevin Garnett be a consultant with the Clippers. But you never know. We might see Paul here back in Boston. I don't know. Do you think there's any chance that that paul moves into a front office position or you think he kind of goes more the media way and becomes more of an analyst and joins tnt or something along those lines i
1: think paul would be outstanding out freaking standing as a as an analyst i think he'd be really good at it
0: Um, last year's playoffs really gave him an opportunity to showcase that
1: and and going further with that, I would say there's there's a report yesterday that Jalen Rose is going to get his own TV show. So if Jalen's doing his own show, I'm guessing he may no longer or his his schedule may be curtailed from doing post game, pre game, all that with with uh, ESPN, who which is where Paul was doing that work. It would be a shame to have Paul and KG on separate networks, but. Lord knows ESPN needs all the help they can get uh with their pregame and post game shows. It'd be I would love to see him in that role. I selfishly I'd love to see him in Boston, but I think he's got too much to offer uh sitting you know, being you know, as an assistant GM or something like that. Something like that. So that you know, that's my sense of it. I, I would much just much rather see I'd rather see Paul here but truthfully i think <laughs> truthfully uh i'd i'd rather see him uh, <laughs> sorry uh, <laughs> that was
0: great that was great yeah.
1: that but... had <laughs> to i had to <laughs> but truthfully i i would rather see him probably on tv cuz i think kj's doing great stuff i think paul would be similarly fascinating uh working on the the nba shows which are all based out in nba out in L.A. and in the West Coast anyway.
0: All right. So what I absolutely loved uh, also about Pierce's return was that he went out to dinner with Isaiah Thomas. Yes. And Paul has got a real – the reason he's good as an analyst is he's a great communicator. Yep. And they talked a lot about that, his ability to communicate on the floor, and, um, you know, in his playing days. And every time he was mic'd up, you could hear him really – you know, just communicating with all the teammates, kind of being the captain, literally, on the floor like a linebacker is and, you know, an NFL defense. But uh, but the thing I loved about it is he's a real people person. When you read some of these other stories about things that, you know, were um, these stories that emerged, it was, and I think Doc highlighted it too, but just the the amount of connection he had with the organization through and through. And how he built some of his routines, some really great stories when you read about that. But here he is playing for the Clippers. They're coming into Boston, and he literally goes out to dinner and spends time with Isaiah Thomas, and just adds to the knowledge and passes on to Isaiah what it means to be a Celtic. You know, always a, once a Celtic, always a Celtic. You know, unless you're Glenn Davis, but um, or or Jr. or Jared Sullinger, but but <laughs> but for all intents and purposes. Once a Celtic, always a Celtic. And I really love that he invested in Isaiah, and we really do before we wrap the show and look ahead at the games that are the three that are on the slate coming up here. Have to just take a moment and step back and look at what Isaiah is doing right now. Ridiculous. Because the number of 40-point games, high 30s, his scoring uh, average in the fourth quarter is disgusting. And everybody... Is keying in on him and yet they still can't stop him. A lot of that, I, and I'm going to also say good on Isaiah Thomas because he's throwing love back the way of the bigs. The screens that they're setting for him, just double screens and just the movement back and forth. And there's always somebody out on the wing who just takes it, but he gets free and up and he gets the ball back. It's the same scheme over and over. And literally they're executing so well, opponents can't stop it.
1: It's 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 ridiculous. I mean, it's (laughs) he he's in a zone where not only are his teammates getting him open, they're making the shots when he's passing out of difficult situations. And I think we're going to see that more and more. Certainly, Toronto, the Lakers, I think the Clippers—all three of those teams really were trying to get him off, get the ball away from him. you know, almost denying the ball to him and making other team, other players beat him. Meanwhile, the Celtics go three and zero with those games. So, that doesn't hurt. I mean, he averaged 37, almost 38 points a game, uh, last week, uh, being named Player of the Week. This, year, this week, after, one week after being named Player of the Month, uh, in January. I mean, had the two straight 40-point games was only two points away from a third straight 40-point game, something no Celtic had ever done. He's playing just at such a, absurdly high level, you know, you you do have to sit back and, and say, well, you know, sit back and be like, well, maybe you can't bring in a guy like Markel Fultz. Maybe you can't. Maybe you have to at least let those conversations creep into your mind. I don't think you do. I think you still try to get the best players you can and, and, and work it out. But, wow. I mean, just so dominant, making all the shots, reading the situations, finding the open guy, I and mean, he's doing everything. And I think his defense, actually, has has gone up a step, too. I, The idea that, and we saw this after that three-game losing streak, too, where he started starting to hear some of those conversations, oh, they're failing because Isaiah's on the court, and everyone else can defend, and they're so much better when he's not out there. That's just such a, you know, I think that was... There's other reasons for that. It wasn't about Isaiah. It was the whole five on the court. But I think he's showing a lot more activity on the defensive end and trying to be at least a little bit more of a pest.
0: Yeah, he is. It's almost like you do see him challenging shots and I think one of the other things that Tommy said that I, or he said maybe a week or two ago during one of the games that Isaiah just needs to get up and underneath Some of those taller, well, everybody's a taller offensive player when he's on defense pretty much, but 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 he wasn't necessarily getting up underneath. A lot of times he was putting his hand up and he was trying to get in what they love to call now the airspace. I hate that. I I don't like that one, but they call it the airspace (laughs) now. And Isaiah Thomas really is not going to get up into the airspace. He needs to body them up on D a little bit the way he does when he is trying to draw a foul and create space when he's finishing at the rim. He makes contact, he gets a little bit of separation, and then he finishes. He almost has to take the same attitude when he's on defense and get up under the guy and and force them to stop being able to move. And if he can do that, good on him. But even then, he does still challenge shots when he's out of position or he's doing a closeout. It does look to me... Like he's making more of an effort, which is really incredible when you consider the scoring load that he's shouldering.
1: Totally, I would say I think that's I, I I noticed that very same comment. And what I would what I would say before what he was trying to do is that he was trying to defend like he's six seven. You know, a six seven guy can contest from a couple feet away. A six a five nine guy has got to be right next to him with his hand up. You know, being able to to really bother from below as opposed to, okay, you know, I gave you some space. Now I'm going to close out on you from from those few steps away. He's just got to be a little bit tighter to him. That's, That's all there is to it. But, you know, I think also what will help with that is the bigger load of the offense that's been in Marcus Smart's hands. Through this seven-game stretch, Marcus is being able to take a lot more of the ball handling, allowing Isaiah to work off the ball a little bit, which takes a lot of stress off Marcus uh, off of Isaiah's hands. takes takes the energy and effort off of Isaiah. So while he is doing superhuman feats, he's not having to also do the mundane and 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 the running the team and running guys through their sets. That that helps. I mean that that allows Isaiah to be Isaiah. A little bit more of the time, and perhaps give a little bit more effort on the defensive end. I think that's probably more of an importance than having Avery Bradley out there as another shooter who can you know, open things up a little bit for him. I think there's. I mean, I'm not trying to create the the Marcus Smart versus Avery Bradley comparison so much, but just yeah. But well, that, no. But
0: in terms of fit, yes. you've already outlined it. It's yes. pretty clear. Yes, and to your point avery is not going to take even though he's handled the ball a little bit more this year we've seen that progression he's not making the same. he's not playmaking the way that marcus smart does and just just to tie the isaiah thomas and paul pierce connection up into a nice little bow so that we can preview next week's games i'll just say paul saying that isaiah is definitely a boston celtic he's hopefully going to be in green for a long time to come and the only way they win championships in that scenario is if the mix of players is right and Isaiah gets to focus on doing what he does best and giving at least to your point and this discussion some effort or being able to impact defensively to his greatest ability and having him be exhausted having to shoulder the entire offense is too much so you're 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 on the money there. The other thing I wanted to say, Chad Finn was out in Houston for the Super Bowl, but I loved this tweet from Chad. He said, Anyway, I'm at the Super Bowl and tweeting about Paul Pierce. Don't think outsiders know what he truly means to Celtics fans. And that that right there is the mother f truth. That is the case. And <laughs> it's also crazy the way that Celtics fans You know, even uh, and in and the media have just loved Paul Pierce, and there's no finer moment than the media clapping at the end of Paul Pierce's final post game interview as a player in Boston. Just really a classy move by the media, and I'm glad the media doesn't always put that out there. I'm really glad they did. I'm glad. I'm glad that got out because. That, that's pretty classy. And I think Paul always treated the media with a great deal of respect. I don't recall him getting, uh, getting into it at all with the media during his time. Antoine Walker had some run-ins, but I don't think Paul really, I know he had the bandage wrap and maybe yeah. nationally took some criticism here and there, but I don't remember there being any like personality conflicts. And that's another parallel to Isaiah. Isaiah's ability to work with the media is almost Doc Rivers-like.
1: Yeah, no, I think that, that definitely serves both of those guys pretty well in their ability to navigate that. Because let's be honest, I mean, Rajan Rondo, before the knee injury, you know, had the potential of, of being, you know, this Isaiah Thomas level player. And maybe not the shooter, but certainly in other areas, and his inability to navigate that portion of the job, Made his job so much harder, and I think that's that's kind of what it's about is that those parts are part of that job and and as a player, you can't simply treat play, treat the reporters in such a way where now there's constant criticism, and you have to deal with that the the talk radio and all that whereas Isaiah just sits back, smiles, does his thing, he's still a killer he's still just as much of a killer as Rajon Rondo was, but the difference was is that he was able to make nice with the media, the media get out of his way, he does his thing, they celebrate him, and and it's going to work out for him well. You know, and that makes a big difference. Rondo, I think he built enemies through the media, and that can really hurt you not only on the court, but off.
0: Yeah, it definitely can, because the more established media members have relationships with the coaches in the front office Absolutely, and you can plant seeds. There's no doubt. All right, John. So we're coming up on the end of the show. Let's take a look at the three games ahead on the slate for this week. Coming up, they get a little bit of break two days off after the Sunday matchup against the Clippers. So the first one this week will be against DeMarcus Cousins heading into the trade deadline. See how I did that? That's Wednesday. Then on the second night, that was smooth. That it was super was smooth. Very good. On the second night of a back-to-back, again on the road, a little West Coast trip here. They're going to be in Portland facing the Trail Blazers. And then on Saturday, they play the Utah Jazz. Another matchup. This, I think, is their third of the season, correct?
1: Uh, with Utah? this is
0: Isn't is it their third no. or is this only two? This, this I thought the they only played one. twice, but I feel like they played three times for some reason. Nope,
1: and, nope. Everybody in the West is two times and out, so... That's uh, what I thought, this but is I the got end confused. So series, yeah. We got the
0: Nurkic and the Jokic potential trade targets there as well. So little, little wait, bit wait, of wait. Uh, Denver.
1: There's, those guys are Denver.
0: Oh, Denver. That's right. That's why I got confused.
1: There you go. No, you're right.
0: They only played once. Yes. Hayward in Boston.
1: Right. That was the uh, one. Our boy Crowder, Crowder gets
0: a little upset. Yes. There you go. Right. Hey, wouldn't it be awesome if the Utah Jazz cheered uh, Jay Crowder a little bit? <laughs>
1: Well his dad Corey, played for them oddly enough uh back in the 80s so you know it is kind of a you know odd thing there but yeah it's a, it's I think this is this is the first kind of time extended time on the road they've had since December really they they had a really long stretch of home games and now they're going to have four in a row before a quick home home run and then they're going to be back on the road for three more so you know, playing you know eight, seven out of the next eight games on the road is not going to be easy, and it's going to be a test for where the Celtics sit in the in the standings here. Now, second in the second seed, only two games back of the Cleveland Cavaliers in number one. Uh, which who would have thought we'd be in that position at this point of the year? It's it's a tough stretch though. They've won seven in a row. They've got Sacramento, Portland, and Utah. I'm going to say two and one on the on the trip. I think they're going to beat Sacramento. I think they can beat Portland because I think Portland is is a is a is a is a good te- is a good team, but I think that they're going to have some revenge on their mind. They did not play well when they played Portland earlier in in January, but Utah's good, and I, I think they felt like they could have been playing a lot better in that game that was uh, in Boston here a couple of weeks back. I'm going to say it's going to be two and one, just because I think Utah's—they're going to break the string at, at nine games. Uh, but then the Celtics could go on another run after that. So with Utah, but that's next week. I'm going two and one, J- Justin. Where are you?
0: All right, I'm going to go one and two, and Whoa. the reason is I think Portland gets them on the West Coast swing on the second night of a back-to-back, and then I think you're right. I think Utah ends up being kind of a nail bit nail biter. But ultimately, Utah walks away winners. Last week, you said four and zero that they would go on that seven game win streak, and you were right. I'm falling off of my successful predictions. I hope it's two and one. I like where they sit in the standings, but I, I think it might be one and two. I don't see them having any trouble with the Kings at this point. They seem to be humming along. It'll be the first uh, first game of the West Coast trip, so I don't think the jet lag really catches up with them yet. But by the time they've done a back by the time they're in portland and they're on the second night of that back to back i think it starts to hit them and even with friday off and utah just being really uh, the one of the class of the west coast west, western conference they've really emerged they have a very similar record to the celtics and will be very probably within a game of each other when they do match up on saturday but i think utah still sneaks it out i think you're right i think there could be a nice win streak to follow that but they've tended they've tended to do things in bunches and I think this might be a little mini bunch of losses for them and then who knows we'll come back next week and talk all about it and hopefully you're right again because I like it when you're right you went four0 <laughs> now you're going two and one that's I would prefer that you be correct.
1: I have, but remember, I have a little bit of a, uh, I can go up and down on these things, and I was pretty sour after some of those losses, but hey, look, I mean, if they're winning, we're all happy, uh, the Celtics are in second place, the Nets are far and away the worst team in the league, and it doesn't seem that's gonna abate at all. I mean, things couldn't be, couldn't be better. And the only question is, will this roster look the same way? Uh, on February 24th, uh, after the trade deadline as it does today. And that's the only thing that will in, in, you know, impact where they are. I wonder if the Raptors will make a run at somebody. I, I've gotta feel like they're gonna try to, to get their kind of act back together. They've slid back. You know, right now the Celtics are, are right there and I will say the Wizards have played very well. The Celtics played Tough against the Wizards, but really came came up short and didn't didn't show very well. There's a lot of the power rankings that have come out here from this weekend and have the Wizards ahead of the Celtics, even though the Celtics were the two seed. So it's something to keep your keep our eye on. I'd be interested to see how these Wizards do. I like our Celtics chances against the Wizards, honestly. But as we're kinda going ahead, I think the Wizards, the Raptors, the Celtics, and even the Cavs, those four teams. How they fall here over the next week to two weeks will say a lot about where we're going to go in terms of trades and who's going to be maybe making a bit more of a advanced push to maybe give up a little more in trade to try to get that that guy they need to to maybe get the Eastern Conference Finals or, who knows, maybe even beat the Cavs.
0: Well, things are definitely heating up. We've got the conversations, and who knows, maybe by the time this is broadcast, it'll already be a done deal between the Pelicans and the 76ers, but things are heating up. There's going to be a lot of rumors. There's going to be a lot of precursor trades, and then things, you know there's just a lot of leveraging going on right now. It stands to be an exciting couple of weeks leading up to February 23rd, and we'll be back next week to really get into it. I'm sure some deals will be done and more rumored on the way.
2: That's going to do it for the show. The broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app as well as clnsradio.com. Don't forget, follow us on Twitter, at CSL underscore Justin. That's me, at CSL underscore Duke. That's John. A big thank you for everybody tuning in. You can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. Give us a rating and a review. Your feedback is very important to us. And today's show brought to you by numerous sponsors that's right, ZipRecruiter.com BlueApron.com and Audible.com, three great sponsors that continue to keep Celtics stuff live moving forward, make sure that you support them, they have a great deal for all of you listeners but most importantly, like I said you'd be supporting our show, getting us back here each and every single week as well as the entire CLNS radio network a big thanks to the audience who makes it all worthwhile, and for staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Radio, Nick Gelso, and my co-host, John Duke. I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtics Stuff Live.
1: Celtics Stuff Live.